Bishop Bruce, thank you for your kind words and your charity in keeping my secrets hidden. I have a couple of them on him too, so it's a, it's a mutual charity. Everyone, it's great to be here. Good morning. Uh, Bishop Bruce perhaps didn't mention one of the things I'm most, um, what, that is most a part of me. I'm the son of dairy farmers in North Dakota. I'm a North Dakota farm boy, and so it's nice to be down here in South Dakota, and I feel at home. So if any of you are dairy farmers and need a helping hand over the next two days, don't even think about asking me. <laughs> I know better. And so I'm looking forward to uh, being with you. I've been happily assigned the topic of lively faith. I have four conferences I wish to give. My first conference, I want to give the foundation of a lively faith. What I believe is the foundation of a lively faith. Second talk, God's foundational initiative in that foundation, in lively faith. Third, our uh, fundamental response. And fourth, some practical ideas, practical things to do in the parish uh, to actually live that and uh, increase our lively faith. And so we're pressed for time, and so without further ado, let me uh, jump right in. I have a PowerPoint for this first talk, just the first one, I did this to impress you. The rest, there won't be uh, a PowerPoint. I think we're gonna stop at 9.30 for a break. Is that true? 9.45? So I'll uh, present. We'll see, we'll see uh, where we get, and then uh, we'll break at 9.45. So lively faith. First, I want to uh, address the two threats. I believe the two threats today. Not, if, if I was at a university campus, I'd probably uh, use something else or, or um, discuss something else that could be primary threats. But for people sitting in the pews people who even maybe go to Sunday Mass every week. What I see today as two of the primary threats to lively faith. The greatest threat to a Christian, lively Christian faith today, everyone, I don't think is atheism. No one's going to confuse that for Christian faith. It's not radical Islam. No one's going to confuse that for Christian faith. I think the greatest threat to Christianity today is this, reducing Christianity to being about being a good person and doing the right thing. That in our secular culture, it is easy, even for our people sitting in the pews, to understand Christianity to simply being about being a good person and doing the right thing. One of the fastest growing religious categories today are the nuns. Not N-U-N-S like Sister Barb, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. That when it comes to, when it comes to signing what's your religious affiliation, your religious denomination, your faith, none. It's one of the fastest growing categories today. And you know what they say life's about? Being a good person and doing the right thing. 
No, it's not that this is opposed to lively Christian faith. It's just that it's pathetically insufficient. The duty and the desire to be a good person and do the right thing doesn't come from faith. It comes from human nature. It's not even just pre-New Testament, it's pre-Old Testament. Before Yahweh chose Abraham, he wasn't walking around thinking life was about being a bad person and doing the wrong thing. That even before Yahweh called him, he had in his heart a desire to be a good person and do the right thing. And that is a threat today when this starts, when Christianity starts to uh, have that attitude and be limited that much. The second, another big challenge for us in the church today, dear people, another big threat to Christian faith is a sacramentalized person, but not evangelized person. A person who actually practices the faith, but their heart hasn't been evangelized. When I say evangelized, the good news hasn't hit them yet. They haven't been good newsized. I just gave you a new word, free of charge. In other words, it's pre-Easter, pre-Pentecost. Being a good person and doing the right thing is pre-Old Testament. This is pre-Easter and pre-Pentecost. The joy the gratitude, the love that Christianity is about is not in this person. And where this is a great threat is in passing on the faith to the next generation. Moms and dads who are practicing the faith with this kind of heart might remain faithful on a level of sacramental life. But it's not contagious and caught and attractive to the next generation. And so I just throw those, we could talk about many more, I'm sure, huh? You probably have some already rolling around in your mind, but I just wanted to bring them up as kind of what uh, contrast to what I want to uh, talk about over these next days. Why are those two threats? Because they lack the primacy of a relationship. That what's driving them isn't a love relationship, but something else. And lively faith, lively faith is about a relationship that has claimed my life and determined its direction and defined my identity and my mission. That it all flows from a relationship that has claimed me. As I said, I come from a dairy farm and I have two brothers taken over the dairy farm. One is my brother Patrick. Before I came down Saturday night, I went out to uh, the farm and had dinner with his family, he and his wife, Denise. 
Patrick went to North Dakota State University to study uh, egg, uh, egg science. And while he was there, he went to the Newman Center at NDSU. And as he would go to Sunday Mass and go to Adoration, he started to notice a cute pianist there playing the piano for Masses. And um, started noticing her. Eventually, he went to a meeting. NDSU and UND have this bike race. One starts from Grand Forks, one uh, group starts from Fargo, and they race to the middle. It's a big fundraiser for both uh, Newman Centers. Well, Patrick is on the leadership of the bike race for NDSU, went to a meeting, and here, this pianist showed up, who was also uh, on the leadership for this bike race. And as he sat in this meeting, uh, stuff started to happen in him in regards to uh, this young woman. After it, he asked her her name. Who was her dad? Where is she from? What did her dad do? He was a dairy farmer. <laughs> All kinds of bells and whistles started going off. But he was being claimed in that hour. So much so, dear people, that by the time he had walked four blocks home, he got into his house, met his buddy, and said, I just met the woman I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And guess what happened? He wanted to see her again. He wanted to encounter her again. And what was going on inside of him in regards to her, he wanted to open up to her. And he wanted what's inside of her to open up to him. In a word, he wanted to be with her. And you know what else it did? It started to affect his behavior. He started to drink less beer, brush his teeth more, <laughs> memorize some poems. He was more responsible. He didn't miss class, took his classes more seriously. He started thinking about how he's spending money. Is he, gonna, is he preparing well enough for his future? All of that behavior, all of that change came from the relationship. You take away what was going on in his heart for this young lady, and none of that happens. That's what lively faith is about. Lively faith is about an I, thou that claims my heart. And that encounter I want again and again and again. And I want to be with that which is, which is filling me. My desire is to be with that which is filling me every day. That's lively faith. Some, uh, some years ago, I was visiting the second graders, second grade class. It was during Advent. 
And uh, I said, kids, uh, you all getting excited for Christmas? Yeah. If, by the way, if I ever have a bad day and feeling like uh, my life's not making much of a difference, I go visit second graders and they make me feel good about myself. Anyway, so I said, uh, getting excited for Christmas? Yes, yes. Um, looking forward to uh, Santa coming? Yes. I said, how many of you love Santa? They all raised their hand. I said, how many of you would love Santa if he brought no presents? None of them raised their hand. <laughs> it's not their love for Santa. It's Santa is a means to what they really love. Lively faith is that this relationship isn't a means to something else. It is heaven. To be with Jesus is heaven. And that's my desire every day, to be with him. And if I have to drink more, uh, if I have to drink less beer to be with him, I will drink less beer. If I have to change this in order to be with him more deeply, I will, I will change that. What's driving it is the primacy of the relationship. And where we lack faith, where our faith isn't alive, our relationship with God is a means to something else. So lively faith. Here is the, here is the order for lively faith. Relationship, identity, mission. So just like my brother Patrick with Denise, his relationship with her determined, gave him a whole new identity and inspired him to live a different way. Relationship, identity, mission. It's the experience of Jesus' life Relationship for father, with the father for 30 years in the hidden years. The father proclaims his identity. You are my beloved son. Jesus knows who he is because of this relationship he has engaged. And then the spirit sends Jesus on mission. Relationship, identity, mission. That's the order for lively parishes. The pastor and people receive their identity and mission from their relationship with Christ. So lively faith isn't a... There you go. I thought you had to have, a, have to be a bishop to get that result. Yes, lively faith... Lively faith isn't a program. It's a relationship. And it's easy to turn them around. To live M-I-R. Mission. That we do a bunch of good stuff. And that makes us a nice relationship with God. 
St. John Paul II, your first duty as pastors is not projects and organizations, programs, but to lead your people to a deep intimacy with the Trinity. Everyone take that in. Your first duty as pastors is not projects and organizations. Brother Priest, but our first duty is to lead the people to a deep intimacy with the Trinity. Tell me that isn't an exciting vision for the priesthood. I have it on the bottom of every bulletin. This parish exists to lead people into deep intimacy with the Trinity. If intimacy is too threatening of a word, closeness, union, closeness of hearts. So the first duty as pastors is to lead people to a deep heart-to-heart close relationship with the Trinity. Now, brother priest, you know what that means? How deeply God desires you and me to have that deep, close relationship with the Trinity. Because we can't lead anyone there if we haven't already first trod that path. Faith at risk, reversing them. Mission identity relationship. This, I believe, is the experience of Martha in the story of Martha and Mary and the story of the, el- and the elder son in the parable of the prodigal son. Their relationship with Jesus, at least in those stories, remembering St. Martha or is, a, is a saint, so I don't want to speak too ill of her <laughs> as she is beholding me now. But Martha and the elder son, what's driving them isn't, isn't this intimacy with Jesus and with the Father. And because of that, it says that Martha is serving Jesus but it's only making her angry. It's only making her angry. And when you open up the text and read it again, everyone, I just did it again last night, it says this, Martha, not Mary, Martha invited Jesus into their home. So Martha's the one who had him over, and now she's mad that she has to serve him. When we reverse these, we make our own burdens. Because it's not flowing from this. It's the experience of alone and not with, burdened and resentful. And this lights no parish on fire. This lights no parish on fire. No matter how much the Marthas and the elder sons are doing in a parish, it doesn't bring life to the parish. 
It's unattractive. A bad marriage doesn't attract people to marriage. A burdened, unhappy marriage doesn't make me want to get married. A burdened, resentful relationship, unjoyful, unhappy, not filled with love and warmth with God, doesn't attract people to relationship with God. And you know what, people, after being a priest for over 19 years, the two people I find people defend the most that are not affirmed by Jesus in the Gospels are the elder son and Martha. I once gave a women's retreat. Many of them were uh, stay-at-home moms, but many uh, women at this retreat, and I used Martha, at the Martha and Mary story. And at a certain point, I said Martha wasn't doing the will of God. She was self-centered. I was lucky to get out of there alive. <laughs> they started throwing pacifiers, <laughs> car seats. Uh, we've all identified with the elder son. We defend him because we identify with their experience. And that's the experience we do not want to have. That's not lively faith. That's a bad marriage. And it's because it's mission, identity, relationship. The elder son was obeying the father, trying to get him to give him a kid goat. And the father is sitting there, everything I have, I've already given you. Which will lead us into uh, another talk. Listen to this beautiful quote by JP2. Our Christian communities must become genuine schools of prayer where the meeting with Christ is expressed not just in imploring help, but also in thanksgiving, praise, adoration, contemplation, listening, and ardent devotion until the heart truly falls in love. Lively faith is about the heart truly falling in love in an I-thou relationship and the thou is an acute pianist the thou is Jesus lively faith comes from hearts that have fallen in love with Jesus through the church you don't get it any other way Lively faith, lively parishes come from hearts that are in love with God, and that's real. It would be wrong to think that ordinary Christians can be content with a shallow, with a shallow prayer that is unable to fulfill, to fill their whole life. So JP2 is saying shallow prayer is a great danger to lively faith especially in the face of the many trials to which today's world subjects faith, they would not be only mediocre Christians, but Christians at risk. A parish whose majority of parishioners have a shallow prayer life, it's a parish at risk. 
a family who has a mom and dad who have a shallow prayer life. It's a family at risk. That's what the saint is saying. Or this is, that is what this non-saint is saying. The saint is saying. So, so now on to the good stuff. The heart. So, so do you see what I tried to say there, everyone? Lively faith is about the heart falling in love. Having this encounter like my brother Patrick. And the heart falling in love. So to talk about lively faith, one needs to talk about the heart because that's where this relationship happens. Lively faith happens by this relationship. And that relationship, where does that relationship happen? In the heart. Where does prayer come from? Whether prayer is expressed in words or gestures, it's the whole man who prays, but in naming the source of prayer, Scripture speaks sometimes of the soul or the spirit, but most often of the heart. Look at this. More than 1,000 times. According to Scripture, it's the heart that prays. Not my mind. Not my mouth. My heart is what prays. And if our heart is far from God, the words of prayer are in vain. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. The heart is our hidden center. The heart is the place of decision, the place of truth where we choose life or death. It's the place of encounter. So your good bishop is always talking about the encounter with Christ. Where does that take place? In the heart, according to the catechism. Man plunges into the depths of reality whenever he enters into his own heart. God who probes the heart awaits him there. Isn't that beautiful? You want to meet God? Enter your heart. He's there. And so now we see, right, what much of the Christian life is about. Entering our own heart. We've become disconnected from our own center. The organ for seeing God is the heart. The intellect alone is not enough. And by the way, Benedict XVI doesn't have a bad intellect. The intellect alone is not enough. His will must be pure and so too must the underlying affective dimension of his soul. Everyone, I, I bolded this for a reason. Did you see this? The underlying affective dimension of his soul which gives intelligence and will their direction. So the heart is about an affective dimension. And that gives direction to my mind and my will. Patrick's heart was won over. And so it started to tell his will, less beer. That the intellect 
serves the relationship. It doesn't make it. I can't think my way into this relationship. Lively faith isn't thinking myself into holiness. It's time to quit. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. See you at 10.15, 10.30.